Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for March 11th, 2019. Featuring poet Candace Williams leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street, near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more information and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Jen Ozero, Joe Nasta, Jerry Wagoner, Constantine Jones, Shara Hardison, Michael Holcomb Scally, Harvey Sauce, Candy Wolf, Zachary Lawrence, Beatrice Kay, Faison Syed, Renee Kay, Tim Gerber Fleury, Julia Cohen, Alan Braverman, Todd Friedman, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Arthur Russell, Laura Murphy, Bill Livingston, Phil Eggers, and Adam Holodeck. So let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for March. Enjoy these poets. All right, ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing? Yeah, that was lame. How are you doing? Thank you. That is more like it. Uh, if you're standing, there are chairs up here. Don't be shy. These people will let you in. Any of you want a chair? Chairs right here. Be careful with that railing, too, because uh, so far we've evaded deaths, but uh, don't lean against the railing, because I'm always worried that the railing will break. But there are chairs here. Yes, these chairs are available. Yes? Um, this is the open mic portion of the Brooklyn Poets Yop. I am Jason Koo. If you don't know who I am, I am the executive director of Brooklyn Poets. We are excited to have Candace Williams here tonight leading our workshop. She's also going to kick off the open mic. Uh, a couple of announcements before we begin. Uh, as I mentioned, there are four workshops left coming up in the spring, including Candace's on Candace's on Erasure, which begins on April 7th. Uh, check out those registration deadlines, brokenpoets.org. But the big news is that tomorrow morning, our retreat registration opens. So uh, look for that. In fact, you can <laughs> register right now if you want. I shouldn't say it opens tomorrow. It's actually already on our website. Uh, if you don't know what that is, every year we have a retreat in the Hamptons. It's super bougie and awesome. Um, but the beautiful thing about this retreat is it's a lot cheaper <laughs> than you would have to pay if you were going on your own. So it is at the end of June. It's a long weekend from Friday to Monday from June 28th to July 1st. Uh, we have this huge fucking historic mansion in Amagansett. It's incredible. It's, it still boggles my mind that we can actually rent this thing. Um, but uh, check it out. We have four teachers. I will be teaching along with Natalie Eilbert, Shira Ehrlichman, and Angel Nafis. And Shira and Angel will be there for the first time. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, registration opens tomorrow. There is $100 off early registration. That lasts for about four weeks, I believe. And you can pay in three installments up until May 15th. So definitely take advantage of early registration. At that time in the Hamptons, it's peak season. Lodging there is about $500 a night. 
but uh, our registration does not cost that. So uh, if you look at the figure, you might be like, holy shit, this is like $895, but consider that that includes everything, lodging, the poetry classes, and your food and alcohol for the entire weekend. So we have our chef in the room tonight, Timothy Gerber Fleury. He will be cooking. If you don't know Timothy Gerber Fleury, he's not only a brilliant poet, but he is a cook at Hometown Barbecue, which is probably the best barbecue in New York City, if not the country. Uh, so he will make some choice food for us. There is a French dinner theme night. There's also a Southern Comfort theme night. So I'm pretty excited about the food this year, I gotta say, uh, just from a just from a selfish standpoint. Uh, also, big news: this is the first year we are going to offer fellowships for the retreat. So. We scratched together some money. We're also hoping to get a little bit more money from the NEA. We'll see uh, what happens with that. I'm not even sure when I'm going to hear from them. And who knows what the fuck with Trump, like, you know, when the, when the NEA will actually get in touch with you. But um, I think we can offer at least three fellowships this year. We particularly injure, uh, injure. We, we're not going to injure you. <laughs> wow, that was such a weird Freudian slip. We particularly invite or encourage applications from writers of color women, uh, writers with disabilities, and any writers from underserved communities. So check that out. The application is already up on Submittable. There's only three weeks to uh, apply for that. So the deadline for that is one week before the early registration deadline uh, for the retreat. So uh, if you just got no money, there's no way you can come up with 895. It's totally understandable. It's a lot of money. Uh, check out the fellowships. There's certain eligibility requirements. Um, and uh, yeah, and apply. Okay, uh, a few ground rules for the open mic. If you haven't been here, every poet gets one minute. Uh, sorry, one minute. What is wrong with me tonight? <laughs> one poem, uh, three minutes max on the mic. This would be an interesting open mic if it was just one minute. Uh, yeah, exactly. Everyone would read. We should try that sometime, actually. Um, you get one poem, three minutes max. The reason why we ask you to do that is so as many poets can come up here as possible. There are certain people that sign up for the advance list. This always fills up really quickly, as you probably know if you've been here. So we're hoping to get some po to some poets on the wait list. So please keep to your time. We all know when you're going over, you think you're being crafty, but uh, you are not. <laughs> also, we record the open mic as a podcast called the Yopcast. So first of all, uh, I can keep track of your time when I go over and edit that podcast. I can see exactly how long you've read for. And if you've read for a long time, you will get a nice email from me. Um, we are up to 18 five-star reviews for the Yopcast. I'm very excited about that. Uh, but the only thing that is less exciting is that it's the same number of five-star reviews we had last month. So uh, that's the first month we did not increase our reviews. So what happened this last month, people? <laughs> I don't know. I do know that Bill Livingston wrote a really nice review, as did Arthur Russell. So please rate us on iTunes. It helps draw people to the podcast and uh, just makes all of you uh, poets get heard more. So it's only meant to serve you. So go on there, rate us on iTunes. Uh, we also vote for Poem of the Month every month by audience vote. And the 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the year compete for Poem of the Year honors at our December YOP. So uh, keep track of who you think is the best poet of the night. And you're going to text me at the end of the night with your vote. I will give you the number now. I'll repeat this a few times if you don't have it already. The number to text is 718-374-1953. 718-374-1953. Just give me the poet's name. I will go over the poet's names as we go through the evening and repeat all this at the end of the night. Okay, I think that is it. Yes, I don't think I missed anything. All right. If you don't want to be on the Yopcast, right, you are so good. If you don't want to be in the recording, which is perfectly your right, just tell me and I can take you off the recording. We can just 
edit your poetry out and just erase it into into the ether. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, our first reader of the night is our wonderful workshop professor. Give a big warm welcome to Candace Williams once again. Hi, everyone. Uh, you would think I would read erasures, but actually um, I don't read them very often because it requires a projector and all this different stuff. So I'm going to read some other things, some regular poems instead. Desk lunch poem. I eat leftovers at my desk because being a black woman who can always be found working is the only reason they let me eat. So this one's going to be a bit longer. Um, <laughs> I only had four minutes, so I kind of had to splice together what was in my bag. Um, this is a prose poem that I kind of, I was really thinking about climate change over the summer or I think it was the summer before last. It starts with an epigraph. Black body. An ideal body is now defined called a black body. The black body is a perfect absorber. Robert Siegel and John R. Howell, Thermal Radiation Heat Transfer, Volume 1. A body can be perfectly black, meaning it absorbs all radiance, all heat and light waves that fall upon it. A black body is perfect because it is a perfect absorber. All waves that strike its surface pass into the body, and the body absorbs them internally. Nothing striking the black body passes through the body's edge. Nothing striking the black body is reflected back into the environment. The black body is perfect. It is opaque. It is not defined by its size or shape. It might not be black at all. The color black absorbs all wavelengths of light that fall upon it. The black body is named for its presumed blackness to the naked eye, but a black body can be red or blue or another color. The blackness is theoretical. The black body is theoretical, a device used to give body to abstractions. Perfect black is a theoretical ideal. It has not been observed, but exists for the sake of comparison. For the sake of comparison, the opposite of a black body is a white body. A, a white body reflects all waves perfectly in all directions. The albedo scale compares white bodies and black bodies. Albedo comes from Arabic's albayad. Albayad roughly translates to whiteness. Albedo is a measure of reflectivity and brightness. Scientists say the albedo effect is warming our planet beyond safety. Said another way, the whiteness effect is warming our planet beyond safety. 91% of Fortune 500 CEOs are white men. Outdoor air pollution has risen 8% in the past five years. The Arctic is melting. The white ice is falling into the dark sea, turning reflective surfaces into heat absorbers. It's getting warmer. By it's getting warmer, I mean that it was 129.2 degrees in Iran last week. By it's getting warmer, I mean that in 2010, 10,000 scorched to death in Moscow. By it's getting warmer, I mean that by 2080, 3,300 will scorch to death on the streets of New York City, and half of those buried will be black. It's getting warmer, and I wonder about white men in boardrooms. I wonder about the PowerPoint presentations and profit diagrams. On the diagram, the blue line is profit. The black bodies pile under the blue line over the axis of time, and the blue line rises. In the boardroom, the black body is the ideal. It absorbs perfectly. Thank you. Candace Williams, goddamn. Is that your reaction to that poem? <laughs> your palms on your cheeks. Yeah, keep it going for Candace. 
Uh, our next poet of the evening, first poet off the open mic list, is Jen Ozero. Give it up for Jen. expect to go up so quickly so my phone is just taking a second <coughs> okay um, it is important to stick to the plan I made this plan for a reason and factored in that I would try to cop out I'm afraid to try. No, I'm afraid to want. I spent such a big percentage being afraid. I am also brave sometimes. Bravery is the way, weight on the scale that keeps me tipped over to this side of normal, of functioning, of getting up in the morning and able to fall asleep at night, of being able to hold a job and not burn with worry and shame and rage all through the night after another day like that. I am brave. I have always been brave, even when everything, everything was tipped towards shit. I'm not scared for no reason. You don't need every detail to get that it was hard. I need to be brave right now, knowing you might not believe me. I am the one who remembers. I am the one who remembers, and I have scars for what I can't remember. They hold me down and pulse through my body, haunting me at night. Thank you, Jen. Our next poet was at the Hamptons retreat last year, uh, kicked ass there in many ways as a poet, as a sunbather, <laughs> as a dancer. By the way, we have a big dance party at the Hamptons retreat. This year it's going to be, last year was 80s music, this year is uh, 90s hip hop. So uh, I'm extra excited about that. Give a warm welcome to Joe Nasta. Hey everyone, thank you Jason. Um, I'm going to be reading a section from a longer poem, um, so I'm just going to call it Lust Fragment. They say only the good die young, and isn't that right? I'm not a bad boy, but I bought a leather jacket. I am still alive, can you tell? I'll be whatever you want. It's vintage from that thrift shop on First Avenue, you know the one with racks and racks of leather and denim? You asked me if it was, and I shrugged, pretended not to know. I shrugged it off. It was too big for me. It fell from my shoulders, so on your hardwood floor, I made a pile of my things. I laid my back on white cotton and sighed. I reached my palms upturned towards the skin of your thighs. You squinted and asked, can I come on your chest? And my teeth opened wide. I said, yes, I say, yes, I say, take off, take off. 
you again, asking, why don't you ever take off your pants? As if in nothing but your pale skin, you could know something. As if we could give each other ourselves. Thank you. You said that was going to be a long poem. <laughs> you barely used it in your time. You had more time. Um, thank you, Joe. It's always a pleasure. Our next poet is no stranger to you. If you come to the Yop, give it up for Jerry Wagoner. Uh, it happens frequently that somehow when I come to workshops, it's connecting to something. Uh, unfortunately, this last workshop last month connected to the death of a family member who was two and a half years old. That was a month ago yesterday. And uh, my niece, his mother, asked me to write something. So I put together uh, an elegy um, with all the Gallic parts and everything. Uh, it was good to work in a form. So anyway, so he was two and a half. His name was Koa. Yes, you, a miracle of faith in the possible, were not yet one, a baby, when we first met. I remember you, his eyes on a swivel. He is a genius, I thought, mapping the patterns of light, parsing each photon's vibration and place in the spectrum of wonder. Yes, you were temperamental, cranky at times, but reoccurring floods of delight can be frustrating. Yesterday in New York, a little girl fell from a window, a fire, a bullet, a car, every day. Now we too are survivors. Yes. Now our joy is at the bottom of February, where we've fallen finally through our own thin ice into cold, simple words like loss and grief, and more difficult words like unconsolable. And yes, we will reside here until their meanings are absorbed. If death is the mother of beauty, then she is the cruelest parent. You, Koa, taught us the joy of daybreak. Yes, we know now in blood, you will teach us about another morning. Like Job, his forehead pressed into the dirt before the whirlwind, nothing is ours. This moment in the light is a sojourn on loan out of grace. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Sorry for your family's loss. It's absolutely tragic. Uh, our next poet, I believe, is a Yop debuter. Can you correct me if I'm wrong? Is it Constantine Jones? Right. 
All right, give it up for Constantine Jones, everyone. Yeah, this is my very first one of these, so thank you guys uh, for bearing with me. This is um, this is part of a longer, ongoing, uh, multimodal poetry series called Ruins in Progress. Um, this is a psalm in nap a psalm in napalm for the HIV positive. Book of Isaiah, sixty-one. O oh Lord. You who have promised and foretold the restoration of the ruins, the renewal of all devastated places, how much longer must we wait upon your word? How can you speak such a terrible promise, O Lord? Are we to wait here, palms to the sky, mouths opened and rooted to the rubble? Oh, have we all been set upon these stones among the righteous elms in wait for some thunderous parting of the clouds to cleave the rock, and from the cleft watch finally a chorus of the forgotten dead spew up in a rampant fount from the crust and be free again to taste the living air? You, O Lord, who have promised and foretold the reconstruction of cities that have been blasted to dust for generations. Do you have the authority, O Lord? Do you have the necessary compassion, the very simple give a shitness, to acknowledge and restore those entire generations that have been blasted to dust for generations? Who, O Lord, in your infinite wisdom, have you appointed upon this earth to steward the sick, to accurately catalog the years we lost, to usher forward into some thicker light that those of us still measuring our days in doses, cell counts, viral loads, the hours until our names are called and rooms a cold tile and coffee, that those of us upon whom the calendars drop like leaden weights, oh Lord, do you remember in your memory eternal that those of us who like sand in a sieve you allowed to slip slowly down into the house of death? Take heed and be afeared, O Lord, and make known to your attendants. There is a fresh number of us now too large even for your counting who have recognized and come to venerate our ancestors properly, those who were claimed before we could know them and know from them the wisdom they bought with their love. Know this, O Lord, we are many and we are multiple and we are so many. And we demand accountability in these days of false calm for the devastation of those generations. And when it comes the time to move forward in time, to move forward in health, O oh Lord, yours is not the name we will call upon unless in curses, cries, and calls for retribution. Aman, 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 and goddamn, O oh Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Constantine. Good stuff. Congrats on your Yop debut. Uh, our next reader is a former Poem of the Year winner. You know her well. Give it up for Shara Hardison. yesterday. One dove landed on the other, and they both looked mad about it. It's 3 a.m. now, and I can't get it out of my head. I keep thinking about that year those twin babies were born holding hands, like they refused to let go of everything that came before the cold, bright outside. 
How is it that babies smell so good but look so strange? Like sweet aliens made of the hollow bones of tiny birds and also their mother's faces. I want to kiss them from a distance and promptly give them back to the dark where they were safest. Wake up and peck your way out of your shell. Now be a bird and do the things that birds do. Get up with the sun, chase words into the drying dirt, mash their bodies against the roof of your beak with your stiff and bony tongue. It does not matter to anyone that you long for the tang of pineapple meat and plum rot. You came to this world with wings, so use them to keep from falling when you're pushed out of this mess of mud and sticks and spit straight into the free fall. Contrary to popular belief, avian skeletons do not weigh any less. Birds simply need so much more oxygen to achieve flight that their lungs extend into their bones. I want my own body to make room for all of my breath. There are places I would fly to if I were not limited by the forces of aerodynamics. Thank you. Some good shit. <laughs> Why do babies smell so good but look so strange? <laughs> Always gonna remember that. Um, is Mikhail Holcomb Scali here? Yeah. Is it? Is that right, Mikhail? Michael. <laughs> That's probably easier. <laughs> it looks fancier than that. Uh, Holcomb Scali, is that right? Okay, give it up for Michael Holcomb Scali, everyone. Thank you. This is my first time doing this as well. Um, I'm just, I'm going to read part of what I have for the Whitman Bicentennial Competition. So, uh, Higgs particle with the greatest energy in such a small space provisions mass instead of destroying it. An American 1% reaches incredible density whilst aspiring to layer their gilded projections. The best of us embrace the whole as servant mortals, unlike those godlike conceptions that reign over the Loki prone. <clears throat> A meteor falls into a planet and a coder destroys some lines. Functions, replacements, and the rampant free will of particles in motion. Nobody knows a thing whilst everyone interprets an impulse. So one theory bests another. Nothing if not for an ancestor healing to stone or a cave's wall. Nothing but a confused genome, half tournament, half monogamous. So speak lightly to induce Machiavellian's manipulation. Or speak frankly and send those static beings to a rigid truth. Strike a middle ground in scientific debate, centerpieces, and quick glances. Convenient and lost in a theory's linear line. Ground is struck as the sycophant hoots, hollers, and cheers, lying low on humanity's S-curve of potential. Fiddlers of fire atop our rocky, molten home. The eukaryota or the Eucharist, or meaning from contemplation, <clears throat> excuse me, contemplation in solitude. Incomplete derivatives of greater elements driven by an endpoint like the physicist who quotes the neuroscientist, like the bird who flies the stalk, like the faithful ignoring the unity, like the, like the victory and the widow, like the city lights and the hidden stars, like the country lines. A carbon granted from a dying star, a bowed head granted from a colleague, a black hole at the center of the universe consuming the fickle and the soluble. A love of sorts, 
spiraling towards each other at one-thirds and accelerating to two-thirds, the daunting speed of light for the massless transcendence which hosts the spectrum. There is a separation. It is drafted and burned. It is owned, misunderstood, and grappled to some dusty bank of a sketched line. And the bridge, you see, is held up by the tenacity of a polychromatic undertone, the tightness, invigorating, compounding hope. Thanks. Good stuff, Michael. You said you entered that in the contest? Yeah, that was like half of it. Oh, half <laughs> True Whitmanian fashion. Um, how many of you entered that contest, the Whitman Bicentennial Contest? Yeah, we had a lot of submissions. We had, uh, I think it was 375. Most of those were adults. <laughs> uh, the young ones don't, don't care about uh, either Whitman or uh, winning money <laughs> for their poetry. Yeah, uh, exactly. They don't care. Like, Mark Doty, who the hell is that? Um, I think we had 23 high school students, which is not, not great. But uh, the chances of winning in that bracket are very good. <laughs> so who did you enter that group? Yeah, so we're, I think we're going to have to check ID. Whoever wins, we have to verify their age for sure. Um, okay, our next poet is no stranger to all of you who come to the up. Give it up for Harvey Sauce. All right, this is fun? Oh. All right, uh, let me just, a couple of references. Brickyard refers to the Indianapolis Speedway. Penske and Andretti refer to competing teams of uh, race car drivers. Reference in here to milk refers to the tradition of the winner of the Indianapolis 500, drinking milk for some god-awful reason uh, <laughs> upon presentation of the trophy. So this is called of being and being there. It is speed we are after, superchargers banging our eyes open with amphetamine surges one after another, leaving over 300,000 Hoosiers for a day wired as long-haul truckers. It is speed we are after, more and more, and blood-mangled bodies spilling out of totally wrecked cars, a packed stadium of us urging pit-stopped drivers back into the fray, cheering for one last picket's charge, mad dash to the checkered flag from the squirmy discomfort of nosebleed seating, to the winner a splash of milk, a sloppy kiss from Miss Speedway, fresh euphemism spilling out of a, of a decoupage dress and one hellacious mofo of a trophy. That sloshing you hear when they turn the sound down, crow's nest speakers having finished blaring Johnny Cash to country files, is us doing the wave in lieu of walking the line, the beer in our bellies churning before the inevitable crash. Wave, rest, wave, rest, wave for 500 mostly boring miles. Really, what else is there to do in Indianapolis in late May? if not celebrate with a Bud Light at the Indy 500. Roll a few frames at a bowling alley? Try the Indiana version of New York pizza not even remotely resembling New York pizza? 
I try not to think of how these fossil-fueled darters and bruisers going round and round are ruining the planet. Quick and deadly as velociraptors clawing at each other's tailpipes. A King Kong meets Mighty Joe Young, alien versus predator, carbon footprint, stomps my gut, forcing me to reevaluate who I am, who I am becoming steeped to my eyeballs in bloodlust. Even while the race is being called in enunciatory tones of a big tent revivalist, praise God for the Andretti's, I pray, but please don't let them win again. My money is, running, is riding on the Penske's to regain 2002-2015 form. High on fumes, we see ourselves as defending the fort of what we hope and expect will continue to be a blood sport. A day in fierce Midwestern sun, a couple of cold ones, counting the miles down until the race within the race is won that of competing teams of ambulance drivers up shifting into the brickyard to scrape off the wall to the horror of EMS and the secret delight of us all. Some sloppy Joe of a mofo who by rights should have failed his driver's test. Right, thank you, Harvey. Uh, let's review. That was seven readers. That was Harvey Sauce, of course. Before that was Michael Holcomb Scally, Shara Hardison, Constantine Jones, Jerry Wagoner, Joe Nasta, and Jen Ozero. Our next reader, also no stranger to you, Yop regulars, give it up for Candy Wolf. Great to be here as always. This one is called Luscious Coconut. Wishing my soulmate was lying next to me when I take my first bite of the square mound of luscious coconut halfway dipped in delectable dark chocolate. Wishing my soulmate was lying next to me hearing blasts of sirens through my window on Ocean Parkway. Wishing my soulmate was lying next to me. I went body surfing with my father and ate grilled cheese and tomato sandwiches with my mother. Wishing my soulmate was lying next to me. Like I'm visiting an old friend on a Florida vacation. Wishing my soulmate was lying next to me. During the cold New York winter, my first bite of my coconut patty fills the room with grilled cheese and tomato and wishing my soulmate was lying next to me to soothe the lonely nights. I discovered body surfing, wishing my soulmate was lying next to me, and grilled cheese and tomato sandwiches, wishing my soulmate was lying next to me, hearing the siren blast outside of my window, wishing my soulmate was, was lying next to me, a bite of my coconut patty, halfway dipped in chocolate, the room fills with familiarity. I discovered Florida. I discovered body surfing. I discovered grilled cheese. 
I discovered my mother. I discovered my father. I discovered wishing my soulmate was lying next to me. Thank you. It's an interesting ending. Grilled cheese, mother, father, soulmate. <laughs> Is the grilled cheese the key to all the discoveries? Then <laughs> I'm just talking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Our next reader is Zachary Lawrence. Give it up for Zachary. Hello. I tried to write a villanelle, and I don't know if it came out as one. But I'm going to read it, and I guess you can all decide for yourself if it is. Okay, it's called Keep the Sun Out. I'm shopping for curtains to put over my bed. Both colors look nice, but I like the blue more than the red. Or maybe I like the other more instead. I worry so much, but for what? I'm shopping for curtains to put over my bed. Where was it made? With what type of thread? Which one will last if mistakenly cut? I like the blue more than the red. It's not a big deal, just the choice that I dread. To find the best shade, I'll go on a hunt. I'm shopping for curtains to put over my bed. The lighting is hard. Have I been misled? Now I'm in line all the way at the front. I like the blue more than the red. But the two colors paint the inside of my head. Well, I've worried so much, so I'll just go with my gut. I'm shopping for curtains to put over my bed. I like the blue more than the red. It's pretty good. Um, so which, did you get the blue? Or was that, or was that just a metaphor? You, but you bought the blue curtains? Yeah, that was real. Was that like a political statement too? Did you do you vote blue? No, you didn't think of that. Yeah, you might want to think of that. You might need to change the colors. Um, actually, no, you don't need to change the colors. I was like confused for a second. You have blue and red in your T-shirt too. It's very interesting. That's a band. Oh, blue and red. Yeah. But you could choose one. I don't know. Um, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Yeah. I don't need you trolling me, you know. Just, just, just settle, settle down. Settle down. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, how many of you written a Villanelle? It's like this side of the room. And, and two. <laughs> yes, yeah, this is a trio lace. I don't know. I like the Villanelle because once you write the first stanza, you, you know how it's ending. It's like you have the last two lines already. It's terrifying. <laughs> In fact, you've gotten almost half the poem written already. Um, it's quite an experience. Okay, uh, I recommend it if you haven't done it. Our next poet is Beatrice K. Give it up for Beatrice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, how are you? Hi, everyone. You all look lovely this evening. 
Um, you're welcome. This this poem is called Orange. Um, it's set in Bedsty, where I also run a book club for women and femmes of color. So if you're interested in participating, please come find me. Um, can y'all hear me okay? Okay, good. Okay, this is Orange. I am one of four heavily bruised oranges. Angular jabs mark my rind, my hard skin crusting and shriveling at the core. I am sitting on a banged up black styrofoam plate covered in saran wrap. The thinnest stretch of plastic shields you from the air that has sustained me across oceans. My grandmother's whole names hang heavy in this air between the saran wrap and the styrofoam. Agrippina, Perseveranda, Juana, Leonila, Luzviminda, yet to be Americanized into Lily and Minda. In this air, we speak with our original accents, each syllable filling my mouth with thick organ breath. This air shapes our juicy crevice, names us feminine, but demands you call us daddy. A neon orange sticker declares I am 99 cents, as if the pile, as if the, tr as if the trash piled on the sidewalk across, the sh across from the street cart that I'm sitting on does not already explain my commercial value. This is how you know, this is how you know to love me, bruised but contained, a moldy artifact in a museum, an institution built on what used to be Bed-Stuy. Thank you. Good stuff, Beatrice, as always. Our next reader is possibly a Yop debuter. I'm going to need a little help with the name. Is it Faison Syed? Is that right? Faison Syed, everyone, give it up. So, yep, I'm Dr. Faison Syed. And this piece is called Becoming Whole. There are more important things than love. This is what you tell yourself at 4 a.m. in the fuzzy space between the death of night and muted glimmers of dawn, the color of new skin. There are the sweet pangs of hunger that clutch you by the nose and drag you out of bed head first. There is the cold light of the monitor etched into the whites of your eyes. There is work to do. But there is also a hole in your chest the size of a thumb. You slip a carrot inside, and it comes out soaked in blood. Funny. Smells almost like rust. You shove the carrot back in and hope it will heal. <clears throat> then, and forget about it. The next day it's gone, and your skin has turned a shade orange. The hole has enlarged. You wrap gauze around your chest and hope it will heal. Luckily, the bandages remain clean. That is, until you fall asleep. Miles of cruel poems unravel and whisper as your body thrashes the sheets. Wind whips the branches into drenched submission. The stench of burning fills the room and reaches down the well of ink collecting in your throat. Voodoo is in the air. This is what you grasp as history thrusts her arm through your chest and grabs only a fistful of cobwebs. Time will always forget you more easily than you remember yourself. 
Your own voice eats you inside out alive like acid. Yes, there are more important things. You just haven't found them yet. Mm. At what point does the whole become the body? Thank you, Faison. Was that your first time here? All right, another round of applause for Faison. Excellent. Our next reader may also be a debuter. I can't remember if she's performed before. Give it up for Renee Kay. but I have not read. Um, I was going to read you guys a really polished poem, but then I decided I would rather read you a draft that I wrote this morning based on stuff I've been thinking about since International Women's Day. Um, so this is thoughts on what it means to be a woman. The sign on the bathroom door tells me I am allowed in, allowed to follow the beckon of a square woman in a triangle skirt, even though I do not know how to put one on to expose my legs to wind that feels like hands crawling over and into me. My college roommate signed his name as man, but could paint his face and wear a skirt with a grace I've never found. So why will the bathroom sign not beckon to him? I am going out to that type of party, the one where I keep my drink in a sippy cup, lock the lid, try to make friends, but always end up as meat, ready to fill the hunger of someone's loneliness. I lock myself in the bedroom and remind myself to breathe, breathe, breathe. When I look into the mirror, all I see is fog. I throw glitter at my face and wonder if I am beautiful now. I don't know what it means to be beautiful other than to be good, and I know that I am not good. Strangers on the street scream at me, tell me that I have the eyes of a witch, so I impale them with the daggers I shoot. I have never known how to use my body as anything but a weapon. And I don't know that I would want to be anything but a weapon at an hour such as this. An hour when every man on the street knows he should not grab me, but that if he does, there will be no consequence. And if I write about it in a poem, I will survive, but, but. I am trying to figure out what it means to be a woman, to be celebrated because I learned to navigate the world by turning my body into a knife but all I can do is mourn the distance between my sisters and I, too sharp to be held. I throw flowers in my hair and wonder if I am beautiful now. I don't know what it means to be beautiful other than to be good. I know that I am not good, but as I hold them in my hand, I feel the beginning of softness. Thank you. Great stuff. Um, okay. Where are we now? That was 12 readers. I feel like it's going quickly. Yes? Going well. <laughs> quickly and well. Um, that was Renee Kay. Before that was Faison Syed, Beatrice Kay, Zachary Lawrence, Candy Wolf, and Harvey Sauce. That was our last six. So we're through 12. Our next reader cooks up a marvelous brisket. Give it up for Tim Gerber Fleury.
So Jason told me earlier I wasn't on the list, <laughs> and I didn't read over it. So <laughs> just going to find something real quick. Got to find something really quick. It's going to take like two seconds. All right. So uh, after last month uh, workshop from Julie, I wrote that LG for my um, dead grandfather now. Um, it's called Saint-Martin de Bocquerville. My hand is small and a bigger hand, callous and leathery a worker's hand. My feet are dragged amongst autumn leaves, passing the boar's pit, eating mushrooms and chestnuts. I have never met anybody else so quiet, yet so expressive, loud with knowledge, with great curiosity in his eyes. The trust I put in him is only equaled by my mother's resentment. I whine and I sob, I would rather be carried, yet he does not comply. We pass the deers and the turkeys heading back to the ferry. He offers me the best of him, a worker's hand. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Beautiful poem that almost didn't happen. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know why I told you that. Uh, I was so distracted by your menu, apparently. <laughs> um, it's a great menu. It is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I need to record that. That'll be our. We have a promo video this year. It's very exciting. Uh, last year, Tony Timperman recorded a lot of footage. Uh, if you went to the retreat last year, you may f see your face in this video. Um, so look for <laughs> look forward to that. Our next reader is Julia Cohn. Give it up for Julia. Hi, everybody. I'm Julia from Sheepshead Bay. I feel like I should always say that I don't know if Sheepshead Bay is well represented here. So, anyway, um, oh, good. <laughs> um, I wrote this. I wrote this poem about a little girl I saw at the passport office last week whose name was Esther. Um, it's called Esther's Shoes. Esther's got a pair of shoes so tiny they are shorter than a middle finger, red ones made of suede embossed with sprigs of springtime flowers. In these shoes are Esther's like a bird in flight and flits from place to place with gay abandon running in and out of offices she has no business entering, and throwing smiles over her shoulder, daring you to follow. Esther's shoes are finally put to rest late in the evening, when her small bobbed head has met the nearest arms or cushion, drooping like a wilted rose. Tomorrow she will don her shoes and start out on her childish journey. Esther's shoes add magic to our world. All right, let's keep it going for Sheepshead Bay. Yeah. Good stuff. 
Who else is from Sheepshead Bay? You raise your hand? Yeah. Is that it? No? Yeah. Oh, well. Well, it's you two. Stalwarts of Sheepshead Bay. Our next poet is no stranger to you. I feel like I've said that three times. I can't, I can't use that anymore. Our next stranger... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing for you, Alan. Give it up for Alan Braverman. <laughs> stranger embraced by the music of this wonderful poetry hosted by Jason Coop. It's almost spring and hope you remember to set back your clocks one hour or set it ahead. I'm having a senior moment. I have two recent poems in our uh, done a year ago and I'm going to combine them with one other poem and it should be within that three uh, minute limit hopefully. My first poem is called My Private Venture. In my mind's eye, there are cataracts to blur my vision. Or can I focus within an elevated level of precision and avoid an eye surgeon's passion for incision, knowing my iris is more than a flower, lowering my indecision, and like Jesus, reflecting on the impact of my circumcision. Though thinking my cerebral cortex now encased in a mental prison, with the realization that the tra this transient poem might face derision. But there's a new beginning. Unencumbered by the shadows that surround me, am I transparent, an image blended among the colors of the spectrum, radiating even in the night sky, while the dawn is more than a wake-up call, and one is reborn, exiting from an unknown tomb, attached to an umbilical like a thread of life. This eternal cord of existence is only temporary until I sever ties to my maker beyond any biblical context to embrace the world. And finally, entering an inner sanctum. It, it's a soliloquy with voices in my head. The madness of the moment embedded in Shakespearean verse, tormented and suddenly in the eye of the storm, rained on by words without meaning until a wind embraces by a beam of light, providing syntax and logic within this poetic conundrum. As I regain my sanity and know my quest to create can be a journey of self-realization where a stream of metaphors will keep me afloat, helping me navigate the path I take. So a poem could be a beginning, not an end, towards a protean existence in words and deeds. Thank you. All right, thank you, Alan. Our next reader, I'm just not going to say anything, is Todd Friedman. Give it up for Todd. Now that it's March, we always wonder, is it going to come in like a lion, leave like a lamb, or the reverse? We have March Madness. We have the Ides of March. And we never know what's going to happen in March, even though you think you have this 50, 60 degree day and you think everything's going well, but could be 10 degrees next week. So the poem I wrote is called Stormy Weather. 
fits right in. Michael Cohn's testimony exploded on the TV, so I went out and bought the biggest golf umbrella I could find. And there he was with his raccoon eyes and his hangdog looks, this fixer, this intimidator, this bulldog who had made it all kosher for Donald Trump. Stormy weather. Afterward, Miss Daniels, who has some credibility problems herself, said she was glad Michael Cohn was beginning to tell the truth. Remember that show? There'd be two imposters and one bona fide character, and the panelists had to choose which one was the real deal. So there he was, disbarred before he would go behind bars. And those on the president's side tore into his flesh the way he used to when he had ferocious teeth. And he told them he'd been intoxicated. And he warned them about the dangers of drinking and driving. Stormy weather. Miss Daniels had appeared on 60 Minutes. 22 million viewers riveted while she told of a thug who threatened her and her young daughter if she didn't. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. Cohen came in with a copy of a check from the president's personal account and another check signed by the president's son and the chief financial officer of the Trump Organization, all in cahoots to reimburse Cohen for paying Ms. Daniels to keep her mouth tightly shut about a roll in the hay with a man who would become the president of the United States. Stormy weather. This porn star with mucho chutzpah says she spanked Trump with his face on the cover of a rolled-up magazine. We weren't in the room, but we still feel the reverberations. And silence like a cancer grows, particularly when you pay for it, particularly when you try to influence votes, particularly in a campaign to make America hate, particularly when you catch and kill a story of another Hush, little baby. This is the story of a little rich boy whose father taught him how to move the money around, who learned how to play with crooked dice, who thought it was fun to fire people on TV, who thought that writing checks had magical powers to make all problems go away, who never wanted for anything except compassion and a conscience, who couldn't keep his penis in his pants, and who finally met his match with stormy weather. I better get my umbrella. Thank you, Todd. Man, fuck that guy. <laughs> oh, it's like almost almost 2020. All right. Uh, hope you're all gonna vote. Hope you're all voting blue. If you're not. That's fine. Sort of. Um, talk to that guy who prefers blue to red. He'll tell you. He'll figure it out. Our next reader is Sarah Lynn Rogers. Give it up for Sarah. super late tonight because my terrible new job keeps me there at unpredictable hours. Woohoo! Here's for being an executive assistant. Whoop! Um, 
I watched the documentary Grey Gardens for the first time six months ago, and I'm obsessed with it, and I've written a few poems about it. This one's called, Imagine Bothering About Anything When She Had a Talent Like That. <laughs> You're useless. I need you to fetch me my slippers. Amazing, that photographic memory. Not that it helped you land a man. Not the way I did. A perfect marriage. Never mind that it didn't last. Not my fault. At least I have this beautiful voice. Can you imagine caring about anything other than that? Can you, my daughter, so beautiful once, and ridiculous that you no longer look 24, even that old? You could be young and thin if you put your mind to it. Not that I did, not that I need to, because with this voice, I am ageless. Just a girl without a care in the world, here in the house where I did all my singing, here with my live-in pianist. I never said you had to stay here. I never asked you to come here. I never said you could leave. I was perfectly fine without you. Don't go. You'd been in New York long enough. You were getting lines on your face. No one was ever going to give you a chance. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be jealous of my perfections. You who can't even dance. You who could have been something, who could be even now. Get you to Paris, to the Folie Bougère. And if you succeed, that's on me. And when you fail, that's your own fault. Wow. If you fail, that's your own fault. Okay. I'm going to say that to my students next week. <laughs> you know, can I tell you, if you fail, that's your own fault. Sarah Lynn Rogers said it best. Our next reader has been writing in this notebook all night. I'm sure he's got lots of brilliant thoughts for you. Give it up for Arthur Russell. I was 19 and I turned out to be 18, so. <clears throat> so I was reading a review of um, <laughs> a new translation of the Hebrew Bible by Robert Alter, and they said he was the greatest thing since sliced bread, in that he'd written an important book called The Art of Biblical Narrative in 1981 that was still considered the uh, defining text of biblical narrative. So I read it. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it did have some unfortunate side effects, which you're now about to hear. <laughs> this is called Rachel. A tile setter named Tony Ben Beryl from Union, the son of a stevedore named Joe Salmon, Salmon because his father, Jose, emigrated from Salamanca, Spain, had two wives in succession, as required by law, though by disposition they were as fingers on his hand, inseparable from his desires, his intentions, and his travails. First was Rachel, who was barren, flat-chested and tall, with a square jaw and delighted eyes. Second was Mary Ann, who had great full hips and black eyes of the sort that had witnessed a crucifixion. And legend has it that she got pregnant before she and Tony had danced the horizontal. Online at the pastry shop on Walnut Street on a Sunday in May, on the morning after he and Rachel had been to a party at the home of a sax player named Toots. By the time Tony got back to the apartment with the two chocolate croissants in a white bag, he and Rachel, who met him at the door wearing the silk-patterned blouse from the night before over just plain pink panties, were effectively divorced, though it would take a year before they, or Marianne, 
knew what had happened. Rachel, whose eyes were delighted even when she was not, moved to East New York and returned to painting pictures of flowers both in the wild and in vases. Tony and Marianne moved to Hohokus and had four boys, Tony, Steve, Joe, after Joe Salmon, and the youngest, Isaiah, Isaiah, because the war in Iraq had just started in 2003, and Marianne was pissed into plowshares. Tony never turned his back on Rachel, as he explained to Marianne. He retiled Rachel's bathroom and her backsplash, even though she was a renter, gave her money, went to the gallery where her paintings hung, made no secret of it from Marianne, but swore he'd been true, and Marianne added Rachel to their Christmas mailing list to get the pictures of the family in red and white sweaters or the ones from the previous summer in swim trunks making biceps on the beach down the shore. But Marianne was suspicious, so she invited Rachel to all their events so that she, Marianne, could stare into Rachel's delighted eyes and see what was what. And it came to pass at the July 4th party in the year that Trump and global warming marked the beginning of the first chapter of the last book of the Encyclopedia of Human Life that Rachel and Marianne met in the vestibule of the house in Hohokus and Marianne took both of Rachel's hands in hers and looked into Rachel's pleasant face and narrowed her gaze to peer into Rachel's green eyes through the black irises that widened as she'd come in from the light, through the eye's lens, through the vitreous humor into the retina's rods and cones, continuing along the optic nerve into Rachel's brain, where Marianne's gaze navigated a fierce tangle of intentions, emotions, and calculations to the chamber where Rachel's chastity vis-a-vis -vis Tony was kept, and Marianne saw that the lock had been busted, the hasp had been bent, the paneled cedar door had been left open, swinging, and the inner space illuminated by bone-white light of the moon through an arch slit in the battlements was as empty as God's watch pocket. And then Marianne said to Rachel, now I know how you felt on the morning he came home to you with two chocolate croissants in a white paper bag and you met him at the door in panties and the silk shirt you'd worn the night before to the sax player's house. And Rachel said to Marianne, now we're equal. And Marianne said, well then Rachel, come inside and fix yourself a drink. Better yet, come in, and I will make a drink for you. Good ending. Good poem. Former Yacht Poem of the Year winner and Yacht of the Year. You can see why. Our next reader was a co-winner of Yacht Poem of the Year last year. Get up for Laura Murphy. Yeah. seen the Hilma F. Clint exhibit at the Guggenheim. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, this artist has art historians rewriting art history because it turns out the abstract expressionist movement happened well before they thought it did. Um, and another thing that's interesting about Hilma F. Clint is she felt that all her art was coming through these higher powers and her paintings, the 193 paintings for the temple, was commissioned by a spirit called Emma Leal. 
Um, so my poem is The Commission of Amalil. The Commission of Amalil. Symmetry is the secret language of opposites. When the world seems small and answerless, seek me, find me. In the blue hour where the sun and the temple connect and epoch is born and the spirit world descends darkened by form, a small footprint is the everything of tenderness, where an improbable synthesis meets canvas, automatic, driven and drawn by a mighty unknown, hypnotic, erotic alchemy of the soul, an infinite ratio. On the eve of the atom, eat from the tree, in the cradle of the cosmos, a biomorphic energy. All things, all things proportionate, the irrational dichotomy yields perfect taxonomy, the swan, the snail, the snake, and the prophecy. To say nothing of God is to say nothing at all. Find me, seek me, in the realm of the visible, the diagram of the soul. An x-ray of emotion radiates angularly. The secret longing of opposites is symmetry, is unity. Thank you. That is an amazing show. Um, it's a good thing my wife's not here. She loves that. She loves that artist. She'd be losing her mind right now. So tomorrow we have our green card interview. Fucking finally. Took like a took like a year and a half for this to happen. So uh, keep us in your prayers tonight. If you pray, you know, keep us in your prayers. If you don't, just keep us in whatever uh, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Um, I'm just hoping it goes on time because I have to catch a flight to Indiana at 1:30. So I tell you, if they fuck me tomorrow, there's gonna be a mad Asian <laughs> in that building. They 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 do not want to see a mad Jason Koo tomorrow. Um, okay, our next reader, we are almost under the wait list, is our reigning Yawper of the Year. Give it up for Bill Livingston. Keep it going for Jason. So I started this a couple months ago at Jason's Yawp uh, workshop, um, dealing with Whitman's question, um, what is it then between us in um, Crossing Brooklyn Ferry? And uh, this is called Between Us Then. From the past and into the future, we share with you, Whitman, the storm posture. Yesteryear bent to the biting winds, the driving snow, the soaking rains, and on fair weather days, the slumped countenance of self-hugging introverts. Now our backs are rounded toward mind-choking technology, blank faces illuminated by the footlights of pixelated screens, our ears filled with the music we control instead of the sweet, unpredictable jazz of the street, unable to connect with the eyes of potential loves or the restless ghosts of the past laughing at us from the shadows of forgotten doorways. And the sky looks down with envy, screaming, look upon my clouds, my birds, my blueness, framed by the tops of ancient skyscrapers and infant glass and steel pencil towers of soulless oligarchs. They are devoid of eternity, yet will outlive the floorboards of 99 Ryerson. And the gargoyles of stone cast their long demon shadows and contemplate the ever-growing bounty of mighty gods to worship while they vomit the soapy runoff of scrubbed rooftops. 
I stand at Fulton Ferry Landing amongst the tourists and newlyweds starting their lives anew. The very sight you observed, composed, waiting to board. You were close enough to touch the water when it was thick with oysters that would put up a fight to keep their pearls and briny nourishment. The century when the winters allowed us to cross the ice-covered waters on foot or flee the borough as Washington escaped the British by tiny craft to the relative safety of Manhattan. How curiously they would consider the kayaks and speedboats of today. My body resides deep enough in the bur- into the burrow to long for the skyline, but close enough to be kept awake by the horns of ships and screech of gulls. Nine more bridges have spanned the East River since you passed, each one a connecting stanza to the poem of two burrows with the common goal of enriching the melting pot. Between us, then, is Roebling's Bridge, proudly built in your lifetime, and the sentinel of that same setting sun half an hour high over the ever-rising tides. Ever between us, an unquenchable thirst of beauty for beauty and an undying lust for curiosity. Now my back arches downward to touch where you tread, and the sparkle of the river reflects in my downcast eyes while thinking of you and that soulful gaze that can seduce the coldest of nations. Captain, my captain. Thank you. Good stuff. Maybe you'll win. You entered that, right? Did I hear that right? No. They thought that was like the hipster thing dad was doing, so. Well, that's sad. If you win, don't split the prize money with them. Don't buy them anything. All right. We're on to the wait list. We have time for two poets off this wait list. Our first reader is a Yop regular. Give it up for Phil Eggers. Uh, this is also a response to the uh, Whitman Bicentennial prompt. The more I move towards you, the closer I come into myself. If I breathe as you breathe, sigh as you sigh, speak as you speak, sing songs in your voice, delight in that which brings you joy, praise the sun in the ways in which you worship, sit at the table at which you now sit, mirror your movements while writing this poem, then who is to say who is whom and which is which? So what is it then between us? In every act of imitation, I fall ever inward towards depths unimagined, truths long laid dormant. Ever wild, the corners of your cosmos fold ever outward, ever out of reach. I envisioned us as something singular, yet in this stillness, in this quiet, in this early morning that we share, I see that one is an endless expanse as far apart from itself as it is of itself. Following you has meant finding myself and losing what I longed for. What good is it to gain my soul yet remain at the outer edges of your world? What is it then between us? An eyelash? A fingernail? A daffodil that will no longer bloom? A history with no clear conqueror? The space between the lines of our notebooks? I see... 
I know. I know, I know, I know, I know that there are gaps that cannot be bridged and galaxies that will not collide. In your image, I have been made whole. Every while, we remain divided on opposite ends of infinity. Or maybe it's something simpler. Perhaps we're only as distant as Bay Ridge is from Bushwick, <laughs> as far apart as Brooklyn is from itself. I'm enjoying these Whitman poems. It's making me excited for the bicentennial event. Okay, our final reader of the night is it is it Holobick, Adam? All right, it's Adam Holobick. Give it up. You up debuter tonight. Sense, sense all senseless, sought after like diamond pale, shown in illuminating sky like forgetful reveries, gardens upon moor drawn in sublimely lit leaf, bright reef of underwater buoyancy, truancy like states, jarring fractions insipid with devious notion, fade out, static, lit out of fermentation, a liberation promised upon prime numbers. Ruminate escape, resound in excess like the same who mastered the Tao. Sullen falls hallowing eternal signature unearthed under 10,000 years of strata, terracotta undug under centuries of bliss, journeyed upon the seas of squall, all in ultraviolet. Sails gently billowing in blade states, cannons and soulful recoil, much to be said about the swaying rhythm, explicated truths found in stars a billion years old. Hanging in space like a black and white image, trifle in its image, under scrutiny of image, never-ending image of information concocted in a stream of sorts. Streams of sharks and barracudas mixed into the overflow of currents, the gyre of never-ending memory or ever-ending forgetfulness. Unbalanced and unearthed by eternal travel, movement over the planet like a magnetic energy, protecting it like protecting my own mind, slowing down in the eternal sunrise by gently knowing the skin on my face, a warm sensation upon my body, physical nature too dynamic to contain. Don't entertain the concept of leaving. Stay and be blessed by an in-depth perspective of my mind. Thank you, Adam. Okay, that is it. Uh, if you didn't get to read tonight, I am sorry. Uh, you will have to sign up as soon as possible. The sign-up starts right now. Last week, the advance list filled up in less than an hour. <laughs> so uh, you think you have time, but uh, as is true in life, you usually do not. So I would sign up uh, April, the April Yop, uh, which, what's the second Monday of April? I never know what the second Monday, whatever that is. April is our anniversary up. It will be our 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, our 7th anniversary up. So that'll be very exciting. 
I can tell how excited everyone is because you're all cheering so much. Uh, you know, if it's just a regular old yop to you, that's cool too. But for, for me, it'll be very exciting. Uh, listen up for a second. If you could just stop chatting. <laughs> I'm going to give you the number to vote. 718-374-1953. 718-374-1953. I'm going to go back through the names. Uh, we had 22 total readers. That was Adam Holabek, you heard last. Before that was Phil Eggers, Bill Livingston, Laura Murphy, Arthur Russell, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Todd Friedman, Alan Braverman, Julia Cohen, Tim Gerber-Fleury, Renee Kay, Faison Syed, Beatrice Kay, Zachary Lawrence, Candy Wolf, Harvey Sauce, Michael Holcomb, Scally, Shara Hardison, Constantine Jones, Jerry Wagoner, Joe Nasta, and Jen Ozero. Vote once, please. 718-374-1953. Do not tell someone who is not here to vote. I might not figure that out, but you will have very bad karma for the rest of your life. 718-374-1953. Um, 1953. One, one thing I had to do for the green card interview was memorize my wife's cell phone number, which previously I did not know. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll see what happens tomorrow. <laughs> if they ask me, I'm ready. <laughs> it's absurd. You don't learn people's phone numbers anymore. Um, okay, uh, that is all. Thank you for coming. We will see you here for the anniversary up. Uh, thanks again to Candace Williams. Give her one more round of applause take her workshop. I'm sure she'd be excited to have you, and we will see you next time. So, there you have it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for March Thanks to our brilliant professor, former Book Poets fellow, Candace Williams, for leading an incredible workshop on erasure poetry. If you are interested, if you attended the UP, or if you just like erasure poetry, you can actually still register for Candace's workshop called Poet Against Empire. It is a really interesting looking workshop. The first time we've offered a workshop on erasure poetry. You can register through this Sunday, March 31st. There are still spots left. You can also register for our other final workshop that is not sold out of the spring, taught by Joanna C. Valente, who will be leading our April 8th YAWP workshop. Her workshop is on poetry and jazz, the relationship between them. That registration deadline is also March 31st. One more thing that has a deadline of March 31st are applications for retreat fellowships that we are offering for the very first time to attend our Hamptons retreat at the end of June for free. You can register for that, or you can, sorry, you can apply for that by March 31st. The first early registration deadline for the retreat itself is Monday, April 8th. So definitely check out all the information for that at brokenpoets.org. Look under events. Look under Retreat, and you will find it. If you are interested in signing up for the next YAWP, also look under Events. Look for Broken Poets YAWP. Sometimes people email me. They're not sure where to find this stuff. It's under Events. I think the rest will explain itself. Congrats to Beatrice K., longtime YAWPer, for winning our March YAWP Poem of the Month for her poem, Orange. 
very excited about Beatrice winning this month. She has earned free admission to a future yawp and a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way this December on December 9th. That is all. I hope you've enjoyed it. We have 19 five-star ratings on iTunes. I would love if we could get one more. Give us 20. 20 is a great way to go into our anniversary up. I believe now it is our, what anniversary is it? Our 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. It will be our sixth anniversary up. We began the up on... Uh, on in April 2013, yes, so I believe it's our sixth anniversary. Yacht. It will be led, as I said, by Joanna C. Valente. Definitely a big occasion. Come out for that April 8th at 61 Local, 7 p.m. Till then, I will see you. Take care.